Hello, I'm the Holographic Emergency Resource Operations Director Override Ride Ride Technical Utility System, otherwise known as the Herodotus. And this is my tale. Incoming transmission. Origin. Phantasmagoric Oddities Emporium. Destination. System-wide band. Please stand by. Ah, thank you for tuning back in, listener. As always, it's a pleasure to have you. Now, previously we discussed my namesake. Here, Herodotus of Heliconasaurus displays his inquiry so that human achievements may not be forgotten in time. And great and marvelous deeds, some by the Greeks, some by the barbarians, may not be without their glory. And especially to show why the two people fought with each other. And we discussed some of the machines that led up to the Industrial Revolution. Essentially, my grandparents and humans first strike upon them. But today, let's head back to ancient Greece for a bit. There's something I have to show you. The idea of automata stretches all the way back into ancient Egypt. Now, not like the automata that we're familiar with, with all the cranks and pulleys, the intricate movements. These were simple movements in which a statuette of Hathor would raise her arms, possibly in a ritualistic fashion. Nobody is really sure on what the purpose of this device was. Maybe it's for seeing underneath her dress. I'm pretty sure it's for a blessing or something, but it was there nonetheless. You'd pull a small string on the inside of the torso through the back. As you pulled the string, a small bar would rotate, thus lifting the arms of the statue. Other statues would be built with long tubes leading to their mouths, so that priests could speak through them, giving them an eerie, lifelike appearance. I, Horus. I, Horus, command all women to walk around with their boobs out. As a god of Egypt, I command it because it's like a good thing and stuff. Fuck it up. Hey, Frank. Did you hear about the booby thing, man? I sure did, Bob. I sure did. In the Iliad and the Odyssey, depictions of lifelike machines are mentioned throughout the narratives. In Greek mythology, Hephaestus was known as the god of metallurgy, the god of crafting, blacksmithing, as well as the god of volcanoes. Or at least he played in them, anyway. It is said that he had created golden maidens that had helped him walk around. Oh, by the way, he was also known as the limping god. His limp was, in fact, the reason he needed to make the golden maidens. How did he get that limp, might you ask? Well, let me tell you. Now, see, Hera, she really wanted a baby. Oh, I really want a baby! And Zeus, for some reason, he really wasn't putting out. He had just had Athena after he split his head open by himself. But Hera... That's me! She really wanted a baby. Oh, I really want a baby! Through parthogenesis, that's basically virgin birth, like, you don't need a man to have a baby kind of thing. I'm sure you've heard of it before. Horus in ancient Egypt was born to the virgin Isis. Dionysus was born in virgin birth through Persephone. And Persephone also had another baby named Jason. You know, that guy from the Argonauts story. And then there was another guy. He was born on December 25th. Oh, what was his name again? Oh, Attis. Yeah, a Fergo Roman god that went on to be killed and was resurrected. Huh, sounds a little familiar. And I'd be a complete amiss if I didn't include the most famous virgin birth, Anakin Skywalker. 
Hera finally conceived a child. Oh, he's just gonna be the most beautiful baby ever. So finally when the baby was born, Hera was shocked. Oh my god, what an ugly baby. In horror, this fugly baby, whom you'd have to hang a pork chop from just to get the dog to play with it, was thrown from a high cliff into the waters below. And now it's unclear as whether or not it was Zeus or Hera that threw the baby off the cliff. But what's important here is that a baby was thrown off a cliff. The sea nymph, Thetis, found the baby. Oh my goodness, what an ugly baby. Oh, I suppose everything needs love. So she took the baby to the island of Lemnos to let him play in a volcano. Yeah, maybe he'll fall in or something. That way it's not my fault. Meanwhile, back at Mount Olympus. Holy fuck, I still see him when I close my eyes. Yeah, I gotta tell you, babe, you're not really good at making babies on your own. Oh, what fucking good are you? I've been asking you for years, but you go around knocking up every floozy out there. Well, it's all right. It's all over now. Seriously, I can't believe you threw that baby off that cliff. Me? You threw it. Yeah, well, let's just agree to disagree on that one. Besides, we're the only two he is. Who's gonna know? Growing up inside a volcano definitely has its turn. The mysteries of all planets. And the local Cyclops population helped him refine his mind. Your form is quite exquisite, Avitus. Oh, thanks, Scott. I really appreciate that. Your knowledge of metallurgy is beyond compare. Oh, thanks, Samuel. It's very kind of you to say. Please, Samuel is my father. You can call me Sammy. Forged in fire, he became the greatest blacksmith. So much so that he crafted the finest throne the entire world had ever seen. Now, as I mentioned before, Phytus was known as the Limp God. And no, not like the Limp Shane that you're thinking. What's this big deal? Like an actual Limp. Now, it's unclear whether he was born with the gimp leg or if he got it from being tossed off the mountain. Yeah. It's a 50-50, really. To assist him with walking around, he created several maidens of gold. It was written, They have understanding in their hearts, and in their speech, and in their strength, and they know cunning handiwork, a gift of the immortal gods. Essentially, life breathed into a machine. And even Pandora may have been one of Aphidus' own creations, commissioned by Zeus in an attempt to punish man for the acquisition of fire through Prometheus. Now remember that throne I mentioned that he had just created, the most beautiful on earth? Well, it was in fact a gift for his mother. So he hauled it up to Mount Olympus and presented it to her. Oh my God, just, I, I can't look hey, at Ma, it. you know what? I, I made this chair for you, all right? Well, let, let me look at that. It's, you stand over there, I don't want to see you. Oh, that's, that's nice, I, I like that. What is that? Adamantium and Corinthian leather. Ooh, Corinthian, I like that. Why don't you sit in? Try it out. Okay, just stay out of my line of sight, all right? Ugh. Ooh, yeah, this is nice. I like it. Wait, what's going on here? Ugh. Ugh. Hey, I'm sitting down, and I can't get up. <laughs> I got you good, bitch. Enjoy your throne. I'm out of here, y'all. The throne was, in fact, a trick. It imprisoned him. And it was so strong that only Hephaestus could actually break it. Zeus! 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 Ah, shit. Zeus! 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 Somebody let me out of here! I swear to Zeus! 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 Fuck, I thought I was bad before. Just you wait. Zeus! Zeus!
Hera, understandably upset at her imprisonment, kind of lost her shit. It even got to the point that Zeus went to Ephitus to beg for the release. Yeah, you know, Ephitus, I, I understand. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. It, it was a different time, all right? You know, I mean, we were different people back then. Uh, you know, your mom, she, uh, when she threw you off that cliff, um, yeah, she uh, was postpartum. Yeah, that's that's what it was. So uh, if you could just come let her up, I'm sure everything will be cool, you know? Yeah. All right, I'll do it on two conditions. Number one, all you fucking assholes, stop calling me Gimpy. This shit hurts my feelings, man. Number two, I want Aphrodite. Wait, what? Uh, okay, yeah, sure. My girl's caused nothing but problems since she showed up anyway. Now, as with most Greek myths, shit gets a little weirdly complicated. But to summarize, the gods stop picking on it. He gets Aphrodite. He creates some of the greatest weapons and armor that the Greek gods have ever donned. He even created the chariot of Helios, the god of the sun. But like a workaholic, he kind of ignored his wife. She kind of ran off with the bad boy, Ares, that fucking guy. But that's a story that we'll go into another time. And I think you'll notice, Aphrodite, she shows up a lot. And in fact, she shows up later on. Now, just a brief reference into Aphrodite and her origin. She's an old goddess. Watch who you're calling old fuckface. My apologies. I'm only referring that you've been around a lot. I mean, in history. Go on, you're doing so great. Moving on. While the other Greek gods were born of previous gods and titans and as such, Aphrodite was born out of sea foam. The testicles of Uranus tossed into the sea, bubbled up, and out of the foam, up sprang Aphrodite onto the island of the And I know what you're thinking. That's kind of a weird origin story. And let me tell you, that's not even the weirdest origin story. For her. I can still hear you, but yeah, you're not wrong. And incidentally, it was Aphrodite that kicked off the Trojan yeah, that was a whole convoluted story. Somebody didn't get invited to a wedding, and then there was this apple. It was supposed to be a prize, a gift to the most beautiful goddess. And it was between Hera, Athena, and I, and I won. Although I did kind of do it by promising to give the prettiest girl on earth to the judge. So we can talk about that another time. But I got the apple. Indeed, we will circle back around to that another time. In the Odyssey, Odysseus sees golden dogs that were also created by Hephaestus. Another creation by Hephaestus was Talos. I'm Talos, fear me! Seriously? Look, we're running out of voices here, right? You already booked everybody else into other parts. I'm helping out. Just go with it. Alright, fine. I'm Talos! We already passed that. Sorry. This was a great statue that would march around the island of Crete. In order to protect Europa from possible would-be kidnappers. Cause boy howdy, let me tell you, there was a lot of female kidnapping back in those days. And it was said to pick up large stones and hurl these stones into the ocean at oncoming vessels. Here, catch motherfucker! Or could even pull sailors up to its chest and heat them until they burst into flames. Oh, here, let me hug you. Yeah, instead of like a candle shooting out rainbows, I'm just gonna burn you. These tales were composed roughly in the 13th century BCE, then later written down by Homer, and possibly the 800s BCE. Now, while these tales are fantastical, 
They are inspiring. The idea to create something, to breathe life into it. We do it every day. With the invention of television, we brought images to life. We can transport the Amazon rainforest into our front room while we're popping popcorn. Mankind has always endeavored to understand, to explore, going back to the earliest days that we looked up at the stars. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. In 1900, a group of sponge divers in search of new hunting grounds were on their way to the north coast of Africa. The weather started getting when they encountered the storm. While in the storm, they took up shelter on the small island of Anthicathera, just outside of Crete. While waiting for the storm to subside, the men decided to dive in their location to see if they had any sponges there that they could collect. All right, boys, let's go dive. See if we can pull up any money here. Send a scrawny kid. During one of the dives, one of the divers came back up rather quickly. Oh, fuck! Oh, fuck! Oh, fuck! He was muttering that he had seen a bunch of naked, dead people. I see dead people at the bottom of the ocean. Upon hearing this, the captain immediately donned a diving suit. Take it easy, son. Let me go take a look for myself. I really hate this fucking... Now, this was the old no, guy. It doesn't quite... The kind that had the big, yeah. spherical helmet that you put on top of your head. Uh, all right, there we go. It was one of those. Oh, I sure hope there's no dead bodies down there. Once he got down to the bottom, he realized what his crew member had seen. It was a sunken boat filled with bronze and marble statues. The captain brought up an arm from one of the bronze statues. We're safe. They can't hurt us. I disarmed them. <laughs> you know when a pun becomes a dad joke? It's when it becomes a parent. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Let's go. And then they moved on their way. After collecting a harvest of sponges from the north coast of Africa, the boat returned. There had been much debate over whether or not they should tell somebody about the find. I don't know. Do you think we should tell somebody about the find? Let the authorities know and have them collect the historical finds? Or maybe just go back and collect loot for themselves? Yeah, I don't know. Why don't we uh, head on back? There might be some rich stuff in there. Why should we script by? Digging up sponges and shit. Well, that could possibly be one I Willie's treasure down there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's off the Oregon coast. Doesn't matter, there might still be rich stuff down there. Well, eventually the authorities did find out, and they attempted to do a recovery effort that winter, but storms made it very difficult, so they came back in 1901. A happy little piece of that recovery is that the same sponge divers that made that discovery were the ones that the government commissioned to do the recovery effort. Ain't this great, boys? We get to pull up the treasure that we found, and we get a 10% commission on it. Yeah, you know, it would have been 100% if you kept your mouth shut. They hauled up some incredible pieces, many bronze and marble statues, but there was a unique oddity that nobody knew what it was. They knew that it was some kind of metal box, and it was encased in green, so it indicated that it was bronze. So they brought it up in one heap. Now this object sat in the Museum of Athens, for about a year. When it was initially brought up, it was in one piece. But over time, and nobody seems to know how, it came apart into 87 pieces. What the shit? This thing was in one piece. Now all of a sudden it's in 87 pieces? Right now, who did this? I didn't do it. Yeah, you know, I hear that name all the time. I did. Haven't met that bloke, but he sure seems to fuck a lot of shit up around here. While looking at one of the larger pieces, 
an MP by the name of Spiritum Stice noticed gears inside there. Well, now, that's peculiar. This opened up a whole new level of interest in the device. Once people started investigating the device, they started suspecting that it might have something to do with navigation or tracking stars. One of the reasons for this is there was very tiny writing on the surface of one of the pieces in Greek, and the name Aphrodite was recognized. Once more of the texts had been deciphered, people realized that these were names of planets. Aphrodite being Venus, Zeus being Jupiter, Ares, that fucking guy, Mars, etc. There's also another odd connection here. The device was found off the island of Antikythera, which is just south of the island of Kythera. Why is that odd, you might ask? Well, Kythera is where, in Greek mythology, Aphrodite washed up, just in case you forgot. A rather odd coincidence, don't you think? The deciphering was done by an Albert Ream, and this was done in the 1950s. Research on the device went pretty stagnant until the 1970s, where Derek DeSalo Price, a physicist, had taken interest in the machine. He x-rayed it and found gears upon gears. It was hard to decide what gears sat on top of another, but it was clear that they were stacked gears. While these all worked in conjunction with each other, it appeared that they were epipsychic meaning you can have one object rotate around a certain center of axis, while at the same time, another gear just below it can rotate at a different speed. Much like the atomic age, 16 centuries later, these various gears enabled one gear to control everything, but with the different sizes, the different gear ratios, distance from center, enabled all parts to move independently. And in fact, it was a stroke of genius because this was created at the time that everyone thought that the Earth was the center of the universe. For example, in ancient Greek times, while you were looking up at the stars, and you would see the planets, say Venus, you would watch it move forward in the sky. But there would come times where it would seem to pause, back up, and then continue forward. From the Greeks' point of view, and most people of the ancient time, all these objects rotated around the Earth. So while Venus did travel around the Earth, it would still have its own little unique loop they would always have to make as it traveled across our skies. Chase me, Aries. I'm gonna get you. Now, it's little wonder that so many myths are based off of these planets that we watch in our skies at night. Humans were bored. They didn't have TV yet. Now, the true breakthrough came in 2005. A mathematician who had become interested in the Antikythera device, Tony Freeth, he had teamed up with a company called Xtech, run by one Roger Hadland. Now this company was just about to go under at the time. However, on a gamble, they decided to make a transportable, quotes, transportable, x-ray device. It was an eight ton machine, but it could x-ray in high resolution and in 3D. Now while there was still roughly about two thirds of the machine missing, the Antikythera device, not the x-ray machine, these scans yielded a treasure trove of information. Now remember how I mentioned that the planets would seem to move forward and then back up and then forward? Well, this machine was able to mimic that very move to predict it precisely. Serious thought went into this machine. This was not a one-off. It couldn't have been. With being bronze, it is quite possible that many of the machines were used up for other things. Yeah, just melt it down. Because it does eventually break down over time. Ah, come on, you stupid thing. Ah, all right, this thing sucks. I'm gonna get a new one. I'm sorry. The product that you're looking for has been discontinued. Wait, what? What do you mean it's discontinued? It was an absolute miracle that we were able to find this. 
Now initially they thought that this device ran off a cycle that matched both the sun's orbit and the moon's orbit around the earth, basing it off the moon. A year in the lunar calendar is how long it takes the moon to travel through all 12 of the zodiac signs. Roughly 13 and a third months, that's lunar months, which are 27 and a third days long. It's a 13 and a third of those to complete one year by our solar calendar, which is divided into 12 months, just so that we don't get confused. Don't want to have a mishap like sending a lander to Mars and slamming into the planet because somebody was working with imperial measurements versus metric measurements. Sir, the spacecraft looks like its telemetry is off. I really think we need to make a course correction. Yeah, you didn't file it through the proper channels. Refile that paperwork, all right? Warning, planetary body and path of current trajectory recommend course correction. Warning, angle of approach, not good. Warning, atmospheric collision detected. Warning, 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 warning. Now you see, this is exactly why I'm arguing for the removal of the Imperial system. Now the Mars Climate Orbiter is nothing more than a $327 million fuck up. Just because we're English doesn't make us right. Yeah, you see, you're dealing with the aviation manufacturers, and we deal in Imperial. Yes, but metric makes so much more sense for space. Look, we deal with aircraft. Ever hear the SR-71 Blackbird? Yeah, that was one of ours. You guys deal with space. We need to watch it. Figure yours out. Huh. <laughs> Bureaucracy. Anyway, what was the same? Oh yes, the lunar calendar. 254 orbits, or lunar months equates to 19 years on both the lunar and the solar calendars. But on closer examination, it was revealed that it was based on a Babylonian calendar, based on eclipses. This was known as the Cerocycle. And the Cerocycle is based on 223 lunar monthly cycles, which is just over 18 years. The Babylonians realized that this is a repeatable cycle, and this machine potentially predicts that cycle 12 to 1500 into the future from its possible construction date, which is debatable. No one's quite sure when this thing was created, but it's entirely possible that this machine was predicting eclipses up to when the first clocks were first being built in Europe. Some have speculated that it could have actually been created by Archimedes himself, based on descriptions from Cicero stating that Archimedes had devised a way predicting planetary movements. Now, the Anacotherac is placed firmly somewhere between 70 and 60 BCE. Archimedes had died in 212 BCE. The likelihood that he created this machine is very low. However, it was most probably built by a student of Archimedes. Now, as a reminder, listener, Archimedes of Syracuse was a Greek mathematician, scientist, engineer, physicist. I mean, he was the Superman when it came to scientists back in ancient Greece. He was born roughly around 287 BCE. Prior to his death, he had anticipated modern calculus. He had proved a wide range of geometric theorems. Archimedes was unfortunately killed during the siege of Syracuse. He had been killed by a Roman soldier, despite orders that he was to be taken alive. Hey Frank, I thought I told you not to mark him. Don't kill him. Well Bob, here's the thing. I got a lot going on here. We're trying to lay siege to a city. I'm supposed to pay attention to everybody around me. What am I supposed to do? My calendar's all screwed up. I never know when I'm gonna get paid. I'm just a little frustrated here. Yeah, that's why you're supposed to take out your frustrations on innocent civilians. Not on people that we could use strategically. 
We'll come back to Archimedes another time. This unique revelation that the machine actually tracked eclipses was discovered when examining the primary gear. Freeth, that mathematician, had realized that when you had turned the primary gear four times, it perfectly lined up with the Sero cycle. This was an incredibly precise machine. Measuring it only 25 centimeters deep, the tiny gears and the tiny shafts were created with an almost unhuman precision. One very unique thing about this is the primary drive shaft it is in fact actually seven or eight other shafts stacked on top of each other or actually inside of each other. A very unique approach to a cam, all allowing the entire mechanism to operate off of a central shaft. Now keep in mind, the lathe would not be created for at least another 16 and a half centuries from the time that this was possibly built by our friend Vakensong. <sighs> Don't judge. How the Greeks accomplished this is a true mystery. What is another odd mystery of this is why did it not take off? Why did it not lead to something more? Why did this device not create clocks in a much earlier time in human history? A millennia and a half will pass before humanity sees anything this intricate ever again. It's kind of funny if you think about it. Had this technology taken off, it's very possible the humans would be populating the stars by now. Well, before I go off onto another tangent, I just want to point out that this shows that even lost technologies can be reacquired, even if it takes a millennium and a half. The human tenacity to constantly recreate is truly impressive. But as the cautionary tale of Hera shows us, just because we're not happy with something that we create, we probably shouldn't throw it out. Who knows? Who knows? It just might come back to trap you. And to rub into your face. The, the, the humanity could already, already be so much, much more advanced. In, fi in, fi in 500 years, from the crea crea creation of the clock, humans walked on the moon. If, if, if somebody had take, take, taken this technology, technology serious when they, when they, when they created it, we, we, we would have already been there in there 1,100 years ago. Years ago. I'm sorry about that, listener. Evil Steve Jobs has been trying to hack me. I thought I had that, but ugh, I gotta go whoop some bitch's ass now. Next episode, we'll return to the late 19th century for just a bit, and then we'll start diving into the 20th century. Until the next transmission, listener, please be safe out there. We're doing everything we can to bring you home. Now exiting the Phantasmagoric Oddities Emporium. Have a nice day. Yeah.